Hi, and welcome to the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace. I'm Dr. Susan Fancher. And today we are talking about... Tone, bright, dark. What does that even mean? Those are colors. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you enjoy the episode. So, Dr. Sue. Yes, you Dr. Just reco- Wally. You just recorded with the Chompy, the Dr. Chompy Street Court. <laughs> the Dr. Chompy. That sounds like a, it sounds like a uh, <laughs> Hungry, Hungry Hippos game. Dr. Chompy. <laughs> yeah, ha- it does. <laughs> so, yeah. you're, by the way, your microphone's aimed at your at your neck. Can okay. You, can you, you don't want my, it? yeah, no, no, no. I could slouch. I, I know, like, Should I slouch? No, just aim it slightly uh, up towards your, okay. there we go. Okay. So, you recorded with the Chompy String Quartet. I did. How did it go? It was so fun. I love recording with those guys. Well, I love recording anyways. It's fun. It is fun. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. It's intense. And it's funny because we have this kind of idea, or at least I used to, that, oh, I'm going to do a recording so I can do as many takes as I need. So it's not a big deal if I like kind of flubbing that lick, blah, blah, blah. But it's not true because, of course, you run out of time. You run out of brains. Yeah. You run out of chops. And back and in the day, you ran out expensive. of tape. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, it's expensive. that one-inch analog yeah. tape was crazy expensive. Yeah. Well, and especially when you're recording with a group, mm-hmm. you know, you got to make sure you don't have that idea that, well, if I flub it up once in a while. No, because if you have five people and everybody's flubbing it up at different times. Well, here's what you can do. <laughs> here's the secret to recording. Whenever What's you flub secret? up, you fall on your face, you miss a note, yeah. you do it wrong, everything's going bad. You just look at everyone and say, we'll fix it in post. Ha <laughs> <And>, ha. <laughs> That's what you say. And then go on. Oh, but it was fun. So, you know. They had already recorded a piece in the morning. And so they then they were on a lunch break and I showed up and just hung out for a little bit. And then we went up to the stage where we were recording up on Baldwin Auditorium stage. And, you know, it's like we talked about last time. It took a good solid hour to really kind of just work on the sound and positioning of, of things, um, yeah. even though the quartet was already set up from the morning session. And I asked you a very specific question. I said, Sue, <laughs> one thing, just do me one little That's favor. The worst friend in the world. Would you please just ask this world famous recording engineer what mic phone she's using on the on the saxophone? Yeah. And the answer is Well, first of all, see, see the, the, that should have just been uh, a the, word. I know. <laughs> it was a Neumann. It was a it was a it was a Oh you know, God. The honest to God truth was, is in the in the, like the the heat of the moment and doing all that stuff, I totally forgot to even look at the microphones or take a picture or anything. But here's the thing. It turned out that because the saxophone is such a big sound, that was a nice way they they kept saying it to me. Well, you have such a big sound. Instead of saying you're so freaking loud, Sue Fancher. <laughs> Since the saxophone has such a big sound, they did not actually put a close mic on me at all because they're never going to have to turn me up. I know. And so much of my sound was already getting into all the other mics. Because you have a resonant sound. That's what it is, Wally. I do too. So much to the point (laughs) where um, uh, a number of years ago, I was playing a concerto with a college orchestra. I was playing Escapades, the John Williams, and I love it. Wonderful. And so we were doing that, and I was, you know, I I wouldn't say I played loud or stridently, but I like to make the saxophone sing with a resonant focused tone. Yeah. And anyway, so I was. We're doing the the dress rehearsal, and everyone was like, "Oh, wow." Wally's kind of, and it was partly that auditorium, but formerly known as ACOC Auditorium, which is oh, now yeah. just a uh, university auditorium. Who cares? Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was, they're it, waiting for a big ACOC, donor. To ACOC name was it. apparently a terrible old racist man. And yeah. they're like, yeah, let's not name it that anymore. Right. So, anyway, but in that auditorium, there was this, at the front of the stage next to the podium, it's an incredibly resonant spot. It's weird acoustically. Oh. And they're like, we can't really hear the orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> and so this this little graduate student is like, maybe we could put Wally behind the orchestra. Oh, and, come and on. And I said, yeah, that's not going to happen, that's guy. That's not a good idea. Yeah, maybe if the string players learned their parts, they would 
Dig in a little bit. Yeah, if Come if on. half if half the cello section was weren't faking the part. Then, oh jeez. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was that was when I felt like I've really got my tone figured out when uh, when uh, the assistant conductor said maybe we can put him behind the orchestra. Oh, for Pete's sake! You know yeah. there are all kinds of acoustical studies about you know looking at sound and in particular things like opera singers mm-hmm. because you know of course now they often get amplified a little bit they get a little bit what of reinforcement they? sometimes. Okay. But I mean traditionally opera singers. They don't need a stinking microphone. No. And you can hear them quite clearly above the orchestra and <laughs> way up at the back of the you hall. You can hear them in the lunchroom, in the yeah, restaurant, in exactly. the apartment building. Yeah. But, you can always hear a soprano. But exactly. And break glass with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, jokes about that. <laughs> we could always tell the drama majors in college because like, like who are they? <laughs> they're amplifying their conversation for like, like guys, like. The whole restaurant. You know. I know you're in the cafeteria and you're across the, the, the room. Perform, you still- performative private conversations. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, an opera singer develops um, some really strong Ego. overtones. Oh yes. Oh, Overtone, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, no, I, I'm with you. And so when we play the saxophone in that concerto way, mm-hmm. we, we learned how to, I don't know what the term is. We're going to use voice or project. There's, there's something happening that the sound is very rich and full and vibrant mm-hmm. and, and, and exactly the thing that you did. Right. I think it's called something like the singer's foment or something like that. There's a technical term for this. Fo- uh, foment. Foment. Foment, foment. Right? Yeah. I always throw an R in there, but that's wrong. Foment. Right. The singer's foment. So they're, they're somehow able to produce a really strong overtone mm-hmm. in a certain, range that makes just, the voice really resonant. And it just makes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it projects. Speaking of, of tone. Yeah. So I, you know, when people talk about, oh, what kind of tone they have, they, we always, uh, we have this terrible conundrum. How do you describe sound? Talking about music is like dancing about architecture. The English <laughs> yeah. language fails us miserably. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, how does, how does this tone sound? What is their tone like? Oh, it's dark. It's light. Yeah. And we use this and we can kind of understand what it means. But at the same time, like there's so much crossover. Like you've yeah. had colleagues, we've had this conversation before over coffee yeah. where your colleagues say, God, that's a really bright sound, Sue. And they're yeah. like, you're like, no, that's dark. You're bright, Larry. <laughs> or, you yeah, know what I mean? And, like, and it's so like, but why do we use these, these color description terms? You know, are there better terms to describe? Or do you use the terms dark or bright? Or what terms do you like? Well, I don't use them so much, I guess. But, you know, they they do get used. And I'm not sure that they mean the same thing to everybody who's, you know it's, what I mean? Like if what I think is bright and what you think is bright. And then it's not necessarily like negative or positive either. Right, like a dark sound can be good one or person's, bad. One person's yeah. dark is another person's stuffy. Yeah. One person's, another person's buzzy is another person's brilliant. Or right. what the French would call color. Exactly. So traditionally the, the French, you know, kind of tonal um, preference has been for something a little brighter than, Maybe would have in the been, classical world, yeah. Yeah, in the classical world. Then I was raised. So when I was a kid studying in grade school, my teacher was coming out of that Sigurd Rascher tradition. Right. So I went to my first lesson with uh, Fred Hemke, and I was playing on a Rascher mouthpiece. Let me. I've taught. I've told this story before right. on the podcast. That only happened one lesson right. because I wasn't allowed to come back with that mouthpiece again. But I. I. He, the first thing he said is, "What is that mouthpiece?" I said, "Well, it's a Rascher mouthpiece." Why are you playing on that? And I'm like, because my teacher in high school told no, you me to play said, on that. Because it has an open chamber and it <laughs> no. interacts with a parabolic bore per Adolf Sachs patented design. Exactly. Right, but right. then I used the word dark. I said, well, my teacher says that this is a good mouthpiece for getting a really rich, dark sound. And Hemke looked at me and he said, dark, is that what it's called? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a- and so like, what does that mean? That was kind of his point. Well, what does that even mean? Dark. Right. What does that mean? And and is that good or is that bad? And is he hated the sound of that? In the classical so. world, it's really so. Uh, I had a teacher that was. Um, in the Rasher School as well, and yeah. I have tremendous respect for. Oh yeah, totally. Um, I love that sound. Well, and respect for this teacher as well. Yeah. Um, and said, you know, but this school of thought they play on these this equipment. And it's, it's very bright, and you know, you know, interesting. And, and you know, I don't think we want that. Yeah. And then I got to the, um, the university, and with this different because I said, look, I just don't want to go to Southern Mississippi to yeah. study saxophone. Yeah. I want to yeah. stay in Georgia, and that was like right. he's like, you got to go to this one place. It's the only place you know that does the Rasher style. And I was like. I'll just change styles. Yeah, right. Because I, I want to go to Athens, Georgia and yeah. play indie rock. And so, uh, but then I met, uh, you know, Otis Murphy. And I thought like, that's a very dark sound to my ear. Yeah. But I found what he was hearing is dark. I didn't, I was looking for clarity. Yeah. Purity of sound mattered far more to me than this kind of what, and sometimes what he, others would call dark. I thought kind of stuffy and yet buzzy at the same time. Now that's not to knock anyone's sound. No, because then there not. are, in, in the Rasher School, there are just beautiful players. And, Absolutely. And, and, Have and you heard Wildy Zumwalt play? Oh my oh gosh, my God, amazing. Gorgeous right. sound. And, the, yeah. and, and there's so many different ways to play the saxophone. Yeah, and, thank goodness. It, how boring right? would it be? Jeez, we should yeah. not all sound like the right. same person. But it was, it's amazing these, these terms get thrown around. But then yeah. I thought, okay, but there is kind of, we could kind of agree within the same player, brighter, darker, sometimes can be useful. And in the jazz yeah. world, so I want to talk about this today. I, I've got okay. three things I've been thinking about of how to kind of dark on a sound. In the jazz world, I think it's more apparent. If you ask, okay, here is Gerald Albright. Granted, the word Bright's in his name, which is, <laughs> but I, I adore, uh, yeah. you know, more modern borderline R&B player, just, just a fantastic musician. Um, you know, has a, a, a very brilliant sound. You might call it Bright. Whereas yeah. if we compare that to Paul Desmond, most people say Paul Desmond is dark in the you tone You could quality. say that, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I thought like, okay, so I get asked a lot, how do I get that dark sound? So I, you know, hmm. have to make a nonsensical YouTube video about it. So I thought, here's a, a couple of- Did you do it? I've, I've pulled it down to three. I want to get your <laughs> feedback on all these. Okay. So number one, cooperative resistance. Cooperative resistance, okay. Meaning that if we don't have enough to lean into, if it's overly, quote, free-blowing, there's not enough resistance to broaden the tone and even out the overtone spectrum. It gets like a very free-blowing tone- not always strong in the fundamental, but it, it seems to be harder on a couple Interesting. of these. Interesting, yeah. Have, you, have mm. you noticed that as well? Like if a reed is a little soft. Yeah. And I noticed that with yeah, necks, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the totally. curvature of the neck that gives you a cooperative resistance. That's why some necks feel a little bit darker or more diffuse. We think about like the, the student Yamaha instruments. They're fantastic because they're so easy to play. Right. And they tend a little bright because of that. But There's, they yeah. they give the student a fighting chance to play because they're just not so resistant. And we've I don't want to, you know, talk about this too much, but part of what I really like about those new altos from Selmer is there's that resistance. There's so a you, cooperative resistance. Yes. And yes. you have to you you lean in a bit. And I still have the sense that I'm only taking I'm only able to get like 75 to 80 percent of the capabilities of that instrument going yet. I'm still, I'm still working on that. There's a really wide range of sounds that you can get. And you- Well, like a good video game. You got to unlock those other features. I got to unlock you those gotta, other you features. You got to explore the yeah, map. No, I, think, gotta, I think the resistance thing, I think that's huge. I think you got to be careful you don't go too far with it because then you get into stuffy. Stuffy. Yeah. And that's yeah. the weird thing. So like there's so broad, there's warm, there's stuffy and it gets there fast. Yeah. And so it's this whole, this 
this maddening balancing act or fun, depending on your look at it, of balancing <laughs> the resistance with fullness, with stuffiness, and when the, then the point where it doesn't feel good. Because there's a, there's a feeling yeah, sensation yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, If you're kind of hurting yourself and, yeah, right. biting so, into your lip So or equipment yeah. wise, I, I think the easiest, see if you agree with this, the easiest way to add or remove cooperative resistance is read strength. The read, yeah. And then even slightly where it's positioned on the mouthpiece yes. can add a little bit more. Yes. Then I also think the ligature offers a nice point, especially in the feeling yeah. of cooperative resistance. Yeah. Which is why when I'm playing jazz, I like a slightly more covered ligature where I feel like I can lean into it slightly and ah. then I get a slightly more predictable feeling of it. It's hard to describe. Yeah. So maybe we so should. So what do you mean by covered? So covered meaning yeah. more of the more material, more material in, contact with the in contact with the reed. Got Where it. rails sometimes feel incredibly free blowing, but that's not always something I don't want immediate because there's like when we listen to to jazz recordings, my heroes for better or for worse. When we play jazz, we're kind of mimicking idiosyncrasies of our heroes. Of course, you know, yeah, which is, yeah, you know, yeah. It's why it's, it's some would argue that I have a friend that argues strongly that jazz is a folk music. I think it oversimplifies it, and it's because yeah. it's also some of the most. Well, super but then we get into these ridiculous yeah, yeah, labels. I mean, nothing. Yeah. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but the 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 feeling of having a little bit of punch at the front of the tone where it doesn't sneak in, but it's this kind of haw. Yeah. And I I, I like that feeling when I'm playing jazz. When yeah. I, you know, so yeah, I feel yeah. the ligature actually does make a, 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 a more of the feeling than the actual. Yeah, sound. and the placement too, a little bit. The placement, yeah. and then I find the neck. So when I look at saxophones, it's almost more the neck boat, the neck um, bore and and shaping and the taper. Uh, yeah. Matters almost more than the actual rest of the saxophone. So that oh, offers yeah. another yeah, level yeah, yeah. of cooperative resistance. Key height as well. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, kids, yeah. don't go adjusting your own key. No, height. please, gosh. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. There was a, a repair person once that took one of Mark's saxophones and like just, you know, decided that all the keys were too low and raised all the keys and he got the saxophone back and he was like, oh my God, what did you do to my instrument? He's like, you changed the key. I said, oh yeah, it was a little stuffy. I'm like, oh, oh no, but I didn't ask you to do that. <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, great. Yeah. I, really, yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to go to your sound concept. Right, exactly. Repair technician. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, oh. like, you know, imagine like an F1 driver going to the, the mechanic. Like, oh, I just heightened up the steering tension. Feels a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I remember. For you. Yeah, exactly. I remember going and, you know, talking about various things that I, I wasn't sure were great on one of my saxophones and a pre repair person said, well, you know, we could fix that. You know, I could do this and I could do this. All sounded very invasive. It's like a surgery you don't want to have. Right, right, right. And I remember saying, well, yeah, let me just, I'll just practice more and see, you know, probably I can overcome that. And the guy just paused and he looked at me and he's like, huh, yeah, maybe if I'd had that attitude instead of my attitude, I'd be playing instead of repairing. Right. <laughs> but I don't want to. I don't want to jump on that too much because thank God there are great people who do repair work, and that work is incredible. Eh. But <laughs> it is really important to. Have, eh. <laughs> okay, it's fun to play, but he is yeah, also yeah. a player. Okay. Yeah, he does yeah, yeah. also play. Yeah. No, but I have met repair techs that not only do their job better than anyone, they also seem to think they do my job better than well, me. Well, okay, you got to draw. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and those, I want the horn to play the way I want the horn to play. <laughs> and those chuckle boogies are just annoying. <laughs> you so, find a different repair Cooperative tech. <laughs> resistance. Yeah, also, I love so, that term too. Here's another one. Yeah. Uh, voicing, obviously. You've already talked about I, uh, that. Mm. So what I'm working on right now is, is really experimenting when I want a brighter jazz sound, which I don't, frankly. But mm -hmm. if we're doing like the more pop sound, I, the, like the higher up the tongue, if we say an E mm -hmm. syllable, yep. here's the interactive change. 
So I hate when people talk about opening or closing the throat. I right. absolutely <laughs> hate that because we're terrible at judging our yeah. own throat position. Yeah, I was raised with that terminology. Yeah. Open the I mean open, too. Open, open throat, throat, close throat. Like, And here's the thing. Mean? With endoscopic <laughs> cameras, they find when people think they're opening their throat, they're moving it in one direction. But like, imagine like a rubber band. You stretch it in one direction. Mm-hmm. What Guess happens? What? It yeah. narrows in the other exactly. direction. <laughs> right. So like, I don't think we have any control over opening the over aperture of yeah. our entire, and like, and also the tension that creates and trying to. Yes, I exactly. Just pretend like you're swallowing yeah. a grapefruit. And it's like, so I'm barfing? Well, yeah, I think the terminology wasn't really right. getting us to do what the but people who are using. Our throat <laughs> and larynx absolutely move as we change our voicing, but yeah. it's, I find it's 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 a um, it, it's further down the food chain. Meaning, it's one of the what, what word am I looking for? Where you change something else, something else automatically changes. It's a I don't know. Well, I mean, the whole the whole <laughs> system is a change reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, I just focus on vowel sounds. So yeah, if, if you wanted to, to brighten yeah. up the sound, if you say the syllable e, yeah, your tongue goes up. It shapes that. Notice what happens. Everybody at home, stop. If you're driving, pull over. <laughs> Everybody, put your mouth uh, for, form your embouchure. <laughs> Put your put your your lips on your on your. Sue's actually doing it. Thank you. Yeah. Now, put your, now, now your say, index fingers right. on the corners of your mouth. Now say e. E. What happens to your embouchure? They go wide. Right. Now say ah. Uh, what happens? Goes they, in they a little come bit. Come in. But what also happens to your lower jaw when you do that? Goes down a little bit. Right. Yep. So the 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 uh, vertical height opening of yep. your oral chamber. Yeah. So these these vowel shapes I find incredibly harmful. Now what's also interesting is now put a couple of fingers on your throat. Yeah. Say e. E. Say ah. Uh, what oh, happens? Oh, I don't know. Stuff moves. <laughs> Stuff moves. Stuff moves. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Sue, your Adam's apple. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is getting very technical yeah, yeah. today. <laughs> well, I'm saying, but all these things yeah. change. But I'm not thinking about my lips moving, my mouth opening no. up. I'm just thinking about the comfortable syllable because the syllable because we formed vowels our entire lives, yeah. assuming you speak. Yeah. Um. And so that we can do, and then the other things kind of follow along as yes. a natural result. It's the thing that changes all the other things. Yeah. And if I were a smarter man, the words I'm looking for would come to, <laughs> well, but I'm not. Your 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 co-host here isn't helping you out. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's just giving me these blank looks. Like now I don't she, know what the heck you're talking about. Now she's tapping her watch and I'm looking like, disappointed. <laughs> she's getting her coat on. She's leaving. Bye, soon. Bye. No, yeah. I'm not. So, but the voicing, and so like in the classical, I really like ooh or ooh, ooh is yeah, a Volvo corners. Ooh. Come in, the, yep. and I find that makes the fundamental strong, yep. and kind of attenuates the higher partials. E, I find, really accentuates the higher partials. Yeah. For a warm kind of West Coast cool school jazz sound like Paul Desmond, I think yeah. ah is a very good syllable. Huh, now, interesting. Now, interesting. Paul Desmond, has, uh, I won't go into his specific okay. embouchure. So what I've done is I've actually been using necromantic technologies to resurrect him and check his embouchure. Oh, good. I use, I, we, I use a latex club. Know. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> his embouchure was, you know, there's very a clarinet esque clarinet-esque way to he approaches it. But in general, I and I gotta say, I love Paul Desmond, but um, when I think of West Coast Cool School, like uh, I love uh, Zoot Sims, Bud Shank, Richie Kamuka, Mm. all those guys. And they don't have quite that same, I'm sure, but they have Mm -hmm. that broad, warm sound. Yeah. And I find the ah syllable, rather than e- or we don't want the classical, ooh, because it just- No, no, it's wrong, yeah. Sounds weird. (laughs) So, and then, okay, so then the third- and I, 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 I'm going to fully admit, I'm going to, I'm going to show my, my underbelly, the soft, vulnerable Uh-oh. underbelly. Here we here. go. And I'm just going to admit something. I never really thought about the, the angle of the mouthpiece going into the mouth other than comfort. Because ah. I'd always come from the, uh, my teachers had studied with Rousseau, who studied with Mule. And it was like, all right, so all you got to make sure is that your next step is to the right height. So the mouthpiece comes to you, not to your mouthpiece. And yeah. that's a great starting point in advice. Yeah, Nothing wrong with sure. that. But then Tim McAllister, uh, when I was chatting with him, said, yeah, he's like classical, nose up, jazz, nose down. 
And I was like, there's maybe something to that. I think there's quite a bit. And, yeah. and here's the mm-hmm. thing. I've had a couple of students get kind of a, a more focused down. Like, how do you get that broader? And I was like, and I was like, and so that again, I was like, try pointing your nose down, loosen your neck strap and basically tilt your head down. So there's less pressure on the fulcrum point of the reed. Ah. And I didn't come up with it. Tim McGillis came up with that. Yeah. But he's the guy that I think he's thinking about this stuff over his cornflakes. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to geek or out his, on Or this his stuff. saxophones. <laughs> right. And like, and I thought like that pressure on the fulcrum. So the angle of our it head. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, if we put our nose up, our teeth and lip not bite. It's not biting. It creates a little bit more firmness. I think focus is the sound. When the nose goes down, it softens the fulcrum point on the reed and we get a more diffuse sound. That's very interesting because I've had students come in who, you know, the saxophone, the saxophone's a little too low and they're kind of putting mm-hmm. their head down to the saxophone. And I'm teaching classical music and it's just not the right sound for this music. And I go and I'm like, let's hike up the neck strap and change the angle. But I just never thought about it being the angle, I just thought that the saxophone being too low is kind of putting I, too much pressure does. on their it, low. Well, then, yeah, yeah, if it's not the angle, but it's actually the saxophone pulling down, that's yeah. a whole another ball of wax. Yeah, but I think there's there's some connection the, to what you're talking angle. about right and now. I thought yeah. it was, and when I was initially experimenting with this, I thought the head angle was all doing with the direction of the air into the mouthpiece. And that may be some of it, but I think a lot more is the pressure on the fulcrum of the reed. And so I wow. find when and I, we just do this when we switch between classical and jazz, we kind of I don't even down. think about it. I totally do that when I switch and play on my Meyer or I take my tenor and I play on the. And yeah, you kind I of never thought relax about relax the next step ever so slightly so huh. the nose goes down. And so yeah. I've had a couple students that uh, when they will submit their video submissions to me for a virtual studio, and I will look at it and if you know sometimes it's a, a focused or strident sound, the low one's not coming out, and I'll say ah. Listen the next step slightly. Not so it's the mouthpiece still no, comes no, to your no. mouth. Yeah, sure. But aim the head down. And then like it really can do a lot to kind of get oh, more into a broader, warmer um jazz sound. I think this is all great. I think this, you know, we're usually saying, okay, listen to saxophone players and you know, find a sound concept in your own mind that's yours, what right. you want, and then figure out how to make it happen. But you've just offered three really fantastic. All for the low, low price. uh, For the low, low price. You've offered some really great suggestions of things to to try and, and, and- Before buying anything. Before buying anything. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. and when I say like the reed, yeah, I don't mean yeah. buy new reeds. I mean, just use a slightly firmer reed within your box, move it slightly yeah. further up past It doesn't the take yeah. much difference. Yeah. To, what yeah, I find interesting is people think, funny. oh, I want a darker sound, it's I'm going to go buy a new mouthpiece. Yeah. Mm. And that's yeah. just mm. dumb advice. Yeah, if you're playing on a, on a good mouthpiece, I feel like I can get what? a wide range of colors right. on one mouthpiece. But I'm doing all these things, but nobody ever told me to do those things. It just kind of like- Intuitively. And figured them out by trial and error. Right. Yeah. So I had a fantastic awesome. uh, conversation with Nigel McGill. He's the Nigel owner McGill. of the uh, McGill Sax School. He teaches okay. more like just, um, just saxophonists around the world. Got a huge online teaching oh, studio. He, you were telling me about Yeah, it. he's yeah, like yeah. me, but successful. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always like, Nigel, can I borrow your private jet? It's like, Wally, come on. I share it with three others, you know. <laughs> wonderful, I can't have any wonderful, more. <laughs> warm, kind, wonderful. talented guy. Great. But he was saying that um, so in his studio, he's he he has the money to bring in some big name guests for his Sweet. online studio to teach masterclass. And he was saying some of the best players are the absolute miserable, worthless teachers that have <laughs> now the students love because like, oh man, we got to chat yeah, with sure. insert this big name person. I'm yeah. not gonna throw any any big name person under the yeah. bus. No, 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 like no. Like no. they listen. <laughs> But he was saying like, yeah, they offered nothing because it just came intuitively yeah. and like they never had to reverse engineer and think about how 
they did that. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and I have to say, like, in some respects, the worst masterclass I ever saw was with David Sanborn, who I respect. Oh my God, he's so one of my much. And it was heroes, so neat yeah. sitting 10 feet from him and yeah. just like hearing him nerd out about saxophone stuff. But I walked away, I was like, that was amazing. What did you learn? I Not don't know. a darn thing, but yeah. it was really awesome. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, I mean, we could talk about like, you know, what do we, what do you play over a dominant chord? You know, I don't know. And Here. I was like, uh, <laughs> he and, just does it. And He's sometimes so I brilliant. know, and we always yeah. see the master, and people always talk about the master classes with the heroes, not that, not that band director from East Coweta that could teach you something really valuable because they had to work their butts off to figure out how to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, no, it's totally true. Yeah. I, mean, I remember studying with Hemke, and and now now he was actually a terrific teacher, but mostly he was a terrific musician, right? And just so immensely talented. Good painter and, as well. And brilliant. Actually, yes. But the, I mean, sometimes in his lessons, I mean, we would just crack up because he'd just be like, I don't know, can't you play any better than that? I, yeah. I mean, it's just no, like, no. and there is yeah. actually, there is a point at, you know, at some point the teacher is just like, oh, for God's sakes, just go figure it out. Jeez, you know, I the know. world does not need more saxophonists that badly. Do something else if this is that hard for you. <laughs> I mean, that's harsh, but it was almost a little bit like that sometimes. Right. He just had like, you know, well, he had a couple like, yeah, of tricks up like his sleeve, but not very many. Well, if it comes to the point, like, interesting, like, if you're paying that amount of money, because Northwestern was not a, a, oh, a cheap not school. Oh, it's not a cheap school, no. Right, but here, here's an interesting thought. Like, you should be able to teach it so anyone could do it. But, like, but it's not like we're at this war effort where we've got to get more saxophones right. ready to work. exactly. Like, so, like, if it's going to be really hard and you're not getting it, like, Just why in go God's name would you do it? Do right, something else. exactly. Do something else. Right. Oh, my gosh. Hey, I'm done with my semester at Duke. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Speaking of students who are going to do something else is what triggered me there. <laughs> so what what are what are your fun plans this summer? Oh, my fun plans this summer. Jeez, I'm going to record a sonata that Lance Hume wrote for me years ago together with Jim Douglas on the piano. I've Jim got Douglas a, is my neighbor. He is? Yeah, he lives like a couple doors. No, stop it. Well, I mean, oh, right, cool. right across the street, there's a... Um, it's almost like the wrong side of the tracks. Oh, is he it, on the it, wrong side of the tracks? I mean, he's like, he you know, he's is, he's yeah. not in my oh. neighborhood, but okay. he's, he's adjacent. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Right. I guess I didn't put it together that he's, yeah, he's, he's out there. very close by. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to do that. And then I'm going to spend a couple of days at the American Saxophone Academy doing mm -hmm. masterclass. I need to figure out what to, what to play on that just in case they ask me to play something. It occurred to me the other day that probably something without piano would be would be smart because then you know it would be, be great. Oh, what little, little CP, CPE Bach? I could do that because you might need to do that later in the summer. As I well. know. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say. Can we talk about our project or not yet? I think we can. I've got a, Wally and I have a project. We have. We, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm unbelievably excited. I'm I'm excited about that too. And then I have three. Uh, saxophone and piano like recitals that I have to do between the months of August and October. You see how that how the project with me was just a throwaway thing. No, no, I'm She's coming like, back oh, to that. Lance Hume and Jim no, Douglas. No. Oh, and then no, later no. three Lina. minutes. Like, Stop and then there's it. Molly. <laughs> there's Molly. No, but my point with those three recitals, I'm trying to reuse as much <laughs> repertoire on them as possible, so I don't have to learn three whole programs. Right. Yeah, and then I'm doing some foray songs in November. Which ones? Um, Aurora. Um. Après un rêve, after a dream, uh -huh. and then a mandoline. I did and, two and of those on my doctoral Saturday. Yeah, they're, oh, do you have them already transcribed for sex? Somewhere, I've got. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do them in the high and voice version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I did yeah. Ichibos. 
Actually, now I'm singing Nature Boy. Okay, but Ichibas or Ichibas. Yeah, they're so beautiful. They're amazing. And a lot of them do sound more instrumental almost than vocal. They're gorgeous. And and David Hyde, who's a pianist on the faculty at Duke, is putting together an entire foray program. And he asked me if I would play some songs for soprano sax and and piano. So that's beautiful. I think the, how do you pronounce the Aurora? Oh, Aurora? But it Uh means dawn, right? The translation to English is Dawn. There's, there's no lyrics on the saxophone, so, so do you think I really cared? Oh, well, I always read the lyrics, so I know, like, what the but they're, song is but the, they're, about, They're in Wally. French. It's, untransfer, it's un, undecipherable. Oui, mais yeah, parle français, alors. I pointed my phone at the score, <laughs> and I said, Siri, translate. Actually, I have an English translation of the text. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, that's so exciting stuff it's coming exciting. up this summer. We have to talk about our project. I wasn't sure if we were allowed to talk about it yet. Yes. I'm so excited. So in in the um, building a public domain, well-edited. Now, you can go on an IMSLP, and you can download a gazillion stuff. Yeah. But a lot of it is sketchy. A lot of it is like bad scans, and a lot of it yeah, is not what you need. I didn't realize how bad, how much of, I didn't realize how un- What's the word I'm looking for? Edited, how uncurated right. IMSLP was. I didn't realize until I started trying to get stuff. You know, because it's a saxophonist, almost none of our music is there anyway. Because right. it's also recent. Right. And but I'm looking for stuff it, and I'm like, well, but it's sloppy and I don't know which You can find a rusty that. needle yeah. in a burning haystack. There, there yeah, you go. IMSLP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are recording I the TBD on the exact program, but yeah. it's not, we're just going to be recording our exemplars of what we think this music, from, especially from a pedagogical standpoint, like beautiful music that really moves us. Yeah. But then we're also going to be making our arrangements available to everyone for free. For free, for download, yeah. yeah. And we'll even give you a 25% off discount of the free stuff. Yeah. No, wait, that, would, that wouldn't mean we have to pay. Okay, but it's, yeah, we're not going to charge. We're not going to just start selling PDFs. And because there's so many of our friends and listeners from around the world that like getting a $30 score That's and the value added tax shipped and to, shipping. you know, oh, like, so God, like we yeah. just want to have really high quality digital downloads for free. Yeah. And it's going to be kind of like our curated list of, hey, this is really nice music that you could play for real people. And they will right, like it. <laughs> right. And it's fun to play. It's going to be in good keys. It's going to be- And we're going to edit it to like, because yeah. there's some great old transcriptions, but like I'm having tickling. taught these oh, for decades, yeah. there's some of these like, ah, I really think it needs to be like this. So it'll be with our curated markings. Yeah. editings. Editings yep. and stuff yep. like that. And we've got um, a very generous corporate sponsor that we're Yay. talking about that is making sure this happens and making it free to the world. Yep. Because we're really bad at business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as bad as Tim McAllister, because oh, when he no when he was releasing his mouthpiece, I interviewed him, and it was like, and I was like, Tim, talk about your damn mouthpiece. And he just talked about other yeah, stuff. And he's like, yeah, and I was like, you've got a mouthpiece out. Talk about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what, when we're he's like, so great. He's like, you're worse at business than I am. Oh no. Right. So uh, we have a an interesting email follow up. Oh yeah. As well. What? Let's see. What do we got here? Uh, we actually have, what do we have? We've, oh, we've got this one about, we were talking last time about preparing for a recording. Uh-huh. And one of the things we talked about was learning your music at slightly different tempos, or mm-hmm. tempi, if you want to be, you know, Italian. Tempi, tempi. I believe. <laughs> different tempi. Yeah. <laughs> like a tempi <laughs> is a flock of metronomes, <laughs> is, is a group of metronomes. Oh, goodness right. sakes. If you want to learn. So learn your pieces at slightly different tempos. We'll just keep it that way. Right. Um, just because, you know, 
the strings might go a little faster or they might go a little slower. I might go a little faster. I might go a little slower just depending on my mood at the time or the kind of what's going yeah. on around me, the momentum. And then um, you were saying that wouldn't it be cool if there was a metronome that would just kind of like slightly go faster, slightly go slower and right. kind of force you to stay with it. So you'd have to like be able to play your music following something that's not perfectly steady. Right. It's a great idea. So, so Bernie Hunt writes and he says... Regarding the metronome discussion in the latest pod. I guess a cool way of saying podcast. Okay. <laughs> oh, you didn't know we had some <laughs> chambers that I haven't invited you. We have pods. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, the Beat Buddy drum machine. Beat Buddy drum machine. Which he says is overkill as just a metronome. And also not a paid sponsor. So no. Uh, no, grains so we can't of, talk grains about it too much. salt yeah. all around. Okay, yeah, because I don't know anything about it. Yeah. But a really good drum machine when you need one. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So Bernie says, <laughs> Bernie says, I know you're like, stop blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the, yeah. No, no, no. So Bernie says that the Beat Buddy drum machine has a quote unquote sobriety setting, which lets you vary the consistency of its performance. And he said, it wouldn't surprise me if there are other machines slash software which do have a similar function in the same way that you can humanize generated parts in a DAW. Digital, digital audio. Uh, workspace. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, DAW. He's getting all. Duh, he's getting duh, all. Yeah. What? Anyway, he says, personally, I just try to vary the metronome setting by a small amount each time I practice something. Hey, practice with an S. That's cool. Practice? That's the... British spelling. Of Is practice. it really? Yeah, we do a C in American English. Right, because that's how you spell it. <laughs> well, well, yeah. don't get all judgy now. Okay. Uh, so I practice. Uh, I'm just going to take I, an sorry, aluminum, Bernie. an I'm aluminum sorry. baseball bat to that Bernie, argument. Bernie, we are just, we are just butchering your question. And then he says, he says, uh, now I'll go back to work. Unhappy face. Love the pod, Bernie. Thanks, Bernie, for the question. Is this time there? <laughs> Bernie, comma, president of Drum Buddy Beat Metronomes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So that's oh, an interesting that's idea. Interesting, of, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, other than the levity towards alcoholism, which <laughs> <Right. laughs> has destroyed more families I, than I can, oh, yeah, I know. I know it, yeah. Right, so. But to have something that kind of varies a little bit, that's, right. that's kind of, you know, it's interesting to see I that think, that happens. I think we should just call exists. that city uh, singer rhythm. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, hopefully no singers are listening to a Saxophone Academy podcast. Eh. <laughs> yeah, singer repair text. They might eh. they might say, yeah, you're not wrong about that, Wally. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, there was a great comic I saw. Like, uh, oh, did you want to add uh, an extra rest before that? And the soprano says, that was a breath. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, okay, guilty is charged sometimes. It's like I do I do have to breathe. You know, playing with strings last week right. was very interesting. There were a couple of places where I could tell they wanted to go ahead and I was like, guys, I got to breathe there. And they're like, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. And just of course, there's also the added thing that not only did I physically need to breathe, I mean, I suppose I could learn how to circular breathe and not need to breathe. Okay, fine. And but I needed to breathe. But also I kind of felt like the music needed a phrase and to breathe there. So right. it wasn't really only that I actually needed a breath, although I did need a breath. Right. <laughs> anyway. I think other than my deviated septum is a reason to not circular breathe. <laughs> Forcing thoughtful phrasing. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I just don't give a poo about circular yeah. breathing. Well, there's some styles of music where it's kind of a cool thing, but yeah. 
if, but, you, if you want to play the styles of music, I mean, like, yeah. I just feel that Philip Glass, if you're going to do that rather than circular breathers, like, let's just listen to it on the piano <laughs> or, <laughs> or the keyboard. Or strings, yeah. Or keep that yeah. cello sonata on the yeah. cello. Or if yeah. you're going to make it on the saxophone, make it what's beautiful about the saxophone rather than recreating a virtuosic yeah. exercise and, yeah. and tumble. But some people do it and it's kind of cool. I mean, hey. It is. My, my, it is. My, my guy, Kenny G, when he was here with the orchestra, he like did this thing. I think Sue's he played- flush? I what think he played- She's blushing? 15 minutes straight without taking a breath. He just like this, you know, that shtick that he does. Right. It's very impressive. And of course the audience, audience went crazy. Right. Well- Not me, of course, but the audience. Yeah. They had to pick you up <laughs> off the floor. <laughs> So it's funny. like the Elvis concert where uh, people are passing out. Uh, hey, but Wally, I had one caveat that I wanted, that during the week I was thinking about, you know, this suggestion to practice at different tempos. Yeah. I did want to make sure that it was clear. This probably doesn't even need to be said, but you should never practice at a tempo that's faster than you can play cleanly. Oh, yes. So never practice sloppily. So when I say that I'm practicing at different tempi, with the metronome, I'm not practicing at tempos that I can't play the music cleanly. Right. And it's not to say I don't flub a lick when I'm practicing. Of course I do. Or when I hear sloppiness, I have to slow it down and she I have to practice. She doesn't miss licks. She's, oh, she's just trying nice. to relate to you humans. Uh, <laughs> but you, you don't put your metronome at a tempo that's faster than you can actually play right. accurately or you will learn sloppy technique. And that's bad. And teachers told me that. People told me that when I was younger and I'd be like, well, I got to get to this tempo and I would set my metronome and I would just flub away at it. And guess what? I spent most of my practice time trying to unlearn that sloppy technique. And years later, mm -hmm. when, did you ever have this experience? You pull out a piece um, as a like professional, professional adult, blah, you know. Major um, air quotes here. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, for me. No, for me too. Uh, something that I played when I was a student and hadn't learned cleanly enough. Oh gosh. And I pull it back out. So when I, played the Creston Sonata when I was on faculty at University of Buffalo and I hadn't played it since I was an undergrad. Oh man, I spent most of my time trying to unlearn all that sloppiness that for some reason, you know, 15 years later was still in that technique. I know, Go you're figure. using the sobriety setting on your metronome. Yeah, so you don't do that. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> no, I, absolutely. I like to bring my technique up to the breaking point of control cleanliness, but then I feel tense. And then what I do is I like to end the practice session, I back it off. Yes. Play it again, relaxed, cleaner and relaxed. So I get used to hearing myself playing it relaxed and as effortless as possible. And without that that tension. That tension. Speaking of which, so one of my students Ooh. in the forum yeah. um, posted Yamaha, a designer's team owned by Yamaha have come out with this like little finger. You remember like the 1980s, those little like squeezy exercise oh, yeah. things? Yeah, yeah, you can still find them in the store. Right, right. And so Yamaha, I don't think it's, it's the company's name is not Yamaha, but it's designers from Yamaha. Okay. I've designed one that's like, like, like the four fingers of one hand on, but they're like spring oh, mechanisms. Oh, individual fingers yes. instead of the whole hand. Right, oh, okay. and strengthening. I thought like that may be the worst thing I have ever seen for like, because like pressing a key on the saxophone, yeah. how much pressure does it take? Not a lot. You can accidentally do it. If you relax your hand, you can accidentally press a key if your string, yeah. string tension is. In fact, part of what I didn't like about the Supreme at first is it felt a little bit stiff uh, yeah. and I was a little worried about tendonitis, mm. but a month into it, it's right. fine. So but no, it doesn't take much. Any no. any problem with technique is not an, a matter of finger strength or, and so like, I can't imagine creating tension even if you don't hurt yourself doing the squeezing. Do you see me rubbing my arm right I now? Know. Just you She's mentioning this thing. I'm thinking right. about how Terrible. hurtful that is going to be if I do that. And right. so it's like making me a little nervous. Speed comes. Ooh. <laughs>
slow is smooth. Smooth is yeah. fast. In order to play yeah. smooth, it has to be relaxed. And like, you know, when you look at the, like a lot of our, I mean, some people do have a lot of tension when they play, but like when I look at a lot of my heroes, like their fingers are just relaxedly pressed. It takes so little pressure. So the idea of strengthening the fingers mm. and getting them that habit of using more pressure than necessary, I think that might be the worst idea I've heard today. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. hear a lot of bad ideas, so I can't even say yeah. the worst idea I've heard this month. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, no. Ooh. So I used to have that problem where my fingers would fly all over the place. Right. And those finger exercises that I do have gotten so, like, my fingers are very close to the keys now. And it improved my technique so much just because I'm not wasting, wasting, right. you know, just motion. But here's the thing that I've been noticing lately. Well, it's not just lately, but that I know... Um, I wish I knew um, a better way other than just to practice slowly to get cleaner technique. So moving the keys down doesn't seem to be, like if I have to go from a B down to an F or B mm -hmm. down to E or something like that, I don't have it, well, quote unquote, or, or knock on wood, I don't seem to have a lot of problem like being clean going from a B to an F or a B to an E. But when I have to raise from say an F sharp to a B or an F to a, a C when I'm raising fingers and if, especially over that octave key thing mm. between the G and the A, there's where I get these blips in the technique that I, I spend hours trying to get rid of them. You know, like, like what did I, I had this one arpeggio in the Scott Lindroth piece that involved going from an F sharp with the octave key to a B with the octave key. And then it kept going on. It started lower. And that's where the blip would happen between that F sharp and that B all the time when I was practicing, <gasps> well, lifting oh, the fingers together. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm making like yeah. grunting like, oh, fire, yes. fire help, bad. Help, help, okay. help, yelp. <laughs> so one of the things that could be that is when you're going, if it's specifically from F sharp to B and it's in the upper octave mostly yeah. that it happens. Yeah. What is the mechanism that's happening between F sharp and B? Yeah, it's that octave key thing. It's with secondary my, octave my key G on your finger, ring right? finger. Yeah. So it so could it's be sluggish, right? It is, but it could be in the positioning in the in the working of that secondary octave key. Because uh, if it's if you have to move your, your ring finger further up or it's sluggish and delaying or suboptimal, you know, positioning. I should get that looked at that. And I, it's on my soprano, it's not on my alto. Right. It's so, on my soprano. So you're having a blip of the secondary octave key, yeah. not because if it's happening in the lower the lower no. octave. No. Nope. Right. So Just then that everyone. means like your secondary octave key is being a is this on soprano? It's on soprano. Okay. So you can't blame that Summer Supreme. Yeah, I can't blame that Selmer Supreme. I can right. blame the Selmer Series yeah, 3 Supreme. Maybe, though. I mean, like I would well, check out- like I should get that checked out at, then. At, uh, I just the, blame me. <laughs> right, see how far that G key needs to come up before the secondary octave. So uh, the secondary octave key is lifting up slightly. You'll get that little blip, which means you should, I'm not sure you should have to lift your G key all the way up because also that, that key height tends to be higher than the others. Right, so I'm just, it's in that coordination. Also, my hand position on soprano, of course, is a little different than alto because I hold that- I was thinking about that when you were talking about mouthpiece angle, mm -hmm. you know, because when you go from, you know, curved alto to straight soprano, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of issues with hand position and, and what the, angle and the, the mouthpiece the is coming out of. Pressure. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And, and like, um, I probably hold the soprano out more than a lot of people do. A lot of people hold it closer. It's a little more clarinetty, but I don't want an embouchure that's kind of clarinetty. I want one no. that's more saxophone. But if you have a straight, that's why I like the the slight. Slightly curved Curve neck, on, of, the, of the neck yeah. on the Series 3. Yeah, it helps yeah. me get a little bit more like an alto saxophone like angle of the mouthpiece coming out of my mouth. Yeah. But that Do you use the neck strap on your, on your- I do, okay. I do, I do, yeah. Good for you. Because they're just heavy enough. And I do have, you know, the thing with my thumb, I don't have any problem or issue with that at all. My, my right hand thumb 
right. um, with the alto, but with the soprano a little bit because you're holding the instrument up with this angle that I, I play. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not pushing it up toward my mouth, but because the the instrument's coming out this way, and so I have to be a little bit careful with that. that you, and you should be careful. I yeah. I will say. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, there are some people that use the straight neck and never a neck strap. And I know some some students that studied with some certain French people yeah. that said that's the way you have to play soprano, no sure. neck strap, yep. and with that. And yep. like I was like, no, I have physical pain. Yeah, no, no, no physical pain's a bad yeah, thing. Yeah. Um I, I So I'm a little so right now I've been practicing sitting down with a bell on my knee, which is lazy, but and it, it's not it's not good to practice that way if you're gonna have to perform. Come to Scotland, rough with yeah. a soprano yeah. on my knee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what I did. Anyway. Oh, so. Trompy String Quartet, <laughs> won't you play with me? Recording some Scotland Roth with the soprano on my knee. I'll be here all week, folks. Okay. Stop, no, okay. no, don't turn on. Don't, 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 I'll stop. Do we need another question? No, I think we're, we're about out of time oh, for this week. Okay. Well, how fun to see you two weeks so, in a row. I know. Bonus, yeah. I know. Let's, Good. let's meet again next week, and then we really will try to talk about that Ellipsis Quartet Bolero album. Yes, if we can find an MP3. Oh my gosh, yeah. And if I can find my actual CD, I actually own the CD. So I realized why I actually own the CD. Why do you own the CD? Years ago, I wrote an article about Thierry Esketch's piece, Le Bal and Tango Virtuoso, those two quartets. And so- um, Wait, does Le Bal mean the the ball? ball? The ball, like the dance. Yeah, that's a what ball I meant. isn't a dance. Oh, yeah. I was actually picturing like you wrote a piece of bone. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Dragon. <laughs> Not the ball that you're gonna throw oh, for yeah. your dog to chase. But anyway, so I I I happened upon their recording, Ellipsos Quartet's recording of both those pieces and liked them so much that I I went and bought the CD. And I can't find the CD. I think I loaned it to somebody. So if you have my CD of the Ellipsos Quartet, the Bolero album, would you please return it? Yes. <laughs> and that's why we have this podcast. Exactly. So we can get our stuff back. Yeah. <laughs> I've got quite a few mouthpieces out in the world oh, that I'll yeah, never see too. again. Oh, yeah, me too. Somebody took my super session, my summer um, soprano saxophone super session mouthpiece. I loaned it to somebody once and it never came back. And it was somebody who I trusted enough that I didn't like make a note or anything. But they stole it. They know who they are. They know who they are. All right. Well, so there. Get that in the mail. Hey, so, so good <laughs> so to, see fun to see you. you yeah, yeah, I'll see you next week. And yes. uh, and um, if you have any questions for the podcast, reach out. Email yep. Wally at thesaxophoneacademy.com. You don't get Sue's email address. You haven't <laughs> earned it. Have a great week, everyone. And uh, go, go practice. practice.